Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Today on Focus on the Family, we're going to explore what is to many a very familiar passage from the Bible in the Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalm 139, which was written as a response to God expressing wonder at his creativity. Uh, David wrote, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Thanks for joining us today. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. John, those are familiar words that are often heard in the church, uh, but maybe not fully understood. And we're going to delve into that today with one of the world's greatest Christian authors, Philip Yancey. Uh, It was more than 30 years ago when two men collaborated to write a pair of landmark books, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, and In His Image. They revealed some of the most profound wonders of the human body and how these wonders can also be reflected in the body of Christ. Yeah, it's a wonderful concept. And uh, one of those men, uh, Dr. Paul Brand, was a world-renowned orthopedic surgeon and missionary doctor who had spent uh, a great deal of his career caring for leprosy patients in India and also in the U.S. Uh, Dr. Paul Brand passed away in 2003. Uh, The other author is, as you said, well-known, very well-known, Philip Yancey, and uh, he's been here on the broadcast before. He's written uh, at least 25 books, including Disappointment with God, uh, Where is God When It Hurts, The Jesus I Never Knew, and What's So Amazing About Grace. Well, Philip, the most wonderful author, (laughs) welcome back to Focus on the Family. Thank you very much. That's amazing, though. You have had an amazing career uh, communicating through the written word. Do you ever step back uh, and think, wow, Lord, (laughs) thank you for this ride? I do indeed. And it's funny because you've done writing yourself, and it's an isolating um, paranoia producing (laughs) act. You you do it in isolation. You have no idea whether anybody's going to read it, whether it's even going to become a book. And then years later, somebody will come up to you and say, I, I read this book, and this is how it affected my life. So the longer I live, the more of that I get, that kind of retrospective view. But it's yeah. also hard work. <laughs> no, it is. And I, you know, it is so rewarding when people come up and express how you helped shape their thinking mm-hmm. or their spiritual journey. Right. It's a very humbling thing, really. And uh Profound. Uh, let's start with Genesis 1, where God decided to make mankind in his image. We, mm-hmm. I use this so often with people, even people that don't agree with us about eternal life. They're not Christian. I'll talk to them about being made in the image of God. Mm. They always are intrigued by that. They don't necessarily agree with it. But what's the power in that statement? Uh, what are you seeing when that um, great phrase is used, made in the image of God? God is a spirit, and you can't take somebody, uh, say a spiritual searcher, and say, let me show you God. <laughs> you know, here he is. Here's what he's like. And we are not spirits. We, I mean, we have a spiritual part, but we are people of flesh, and we have bodies around us. And being in the image of God is a way of showing the rest of the world what God is like, making God visible. I was with a wonderful woman in South Africa one time who had a prison ministry, and it had enormous effect on the prison. It went from one of the most violent prisons in Africa to one where things were calm. There were only two 
acts of violence the next year. And I said to her, what was your secret? And she said, well, Philip, God was already there in that Polesmore prison. I just had to make him visible. Wow. And that's what we're called to do. So that when somebody's made in your image, you say, oh, that reminds me. He's the spitting image of his dad, you know? Um, because when I look at him, his nose, his ears, or whatever, they remind me of his dad. Yeah, right. And I think that's what we followers of Jesus are supposed to do. So that when people look at us, they say, oh, that's unusual, caring for those kind of people. Mm -hmm. um, most people want to ignore them. Most people are interested in climbing the ladder, and they're interested in kind of climbing down the ladder and caring for the outcast, as Jesus did. That is what Jesus is like, that's what God is like, and we are to reflect that image, to make God yeah. visible. Yeah. Uh, Philip, uh, you made a statement in the book, and it said, all of us are like mirrors with the potential to summon up in the others the spark of God-likeness in the human spirit. Mm. I mean, that that's one of those things, and I think it's why so many people love your writing. You get it, but it even goes deeper. Mm. Explain that to me. Yes, that actually came from an experience that Dr. Brand had. Dr. Brand was a British surgeon. He was being trained during the Blitz of London during World War II, which is a great time to be trained in medicine, but not a good time to be living in London. Right. And um, the heroes, the true heroes of Britain were RAF fighters, because every day these German bombers would come over and drop bombs. 3,000 people a day wow. were dying. Think of that, a World Trade Center Catastrophe every day, every day for mm. a couple months there. And it looked like they were just going to completely destroy the city. Well, then these heroic Air Force guys, <laughs> Royal Air Force, got in their little Spitfires and they they took on these bombers. And eventually Hitler had to call off the, the bombing campaign. So these were heroic guys. Well, the Spitfire had one flaw, and that was the the gasoline tube went from the propeller in the front through the cockpit back to the fuel tank you know so the fuel line ran right so by the pilot right by it so if they got hit the entire cockpit would explode now they had an ejection seat but it was too late by the time the cockpit exploded you know they're they're burned beyond recognition and dr brand uh, in his rotation would visit some of these airmen and here are these guys, they're top of their class, they're these handsome figures, people on the street, you know, salute them, little kids want to be like them, and now they look like Quasimodo, you know, right. their faces are all twisted and burned. And one of them said to him, the people that we love, who love us, become our mirrors. We'll lie here, and I know you doctors will do everything that you can to make us look as normal as possible, but we know what you do won't restore the person that we are. Mm. And before we go out and face that world, and he said, my fiance became my mirror. So that when I looked at her, when I look in the mirror, I see this misshapen, charred face. When I look at her, I see somebody who loves me. And Dr. Brand goes on to say, we can be that mirror for other people. There are a lot of people around us who, who don't feel beautiful, you know, who feel like, losers who are deformed or just depressed, discouraged, and we can be the mirror that reflects back to them there is something of beauty and worth in you. Think of the story of Zacchaeus. He was just a disliked person, despised person in the community because he was a, ta a tax collector working for the occupying Romans and nobody would have anything to do with him. And he, he climbed a tree 
when you're in Sunday school, you hear a wee little man named Zacchaeus. I think he climbed a tree because he was scared of the townspeople. <laughs> the mob. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to be in a safe place. Mm. So he's up there, and Jesus stops the procession and says, uh, Zacchaeus, I'd like to come to your house for dinner tonight. He became that mirror. You know, nobody had treated Zacchaeus like that before. Mm. And it transformed him. That night, he's giving away, anybody I've cheated, I'll, I'll restore four times what I cheated them of. Right. An amazing turnaround. Yeah, all in one night. Again, it takes interaction. It takes relationship. In that regard, uh, Philip, uh, during this past COVID pandemic, uh, we restricted, you know, for Mm -hmm. medical reasons, interaction with people. And um, you made the statement, I believe, that that one of the most meaningful things we can do as human beings is to hug and to touch Mm. and to interact with one another. Um, why do you believe that touch is so essential to the expression of God's love? Hmm. I find it interesting, if you look at Jesus' miracles, he didn't wave a magic wand, you know? He didn't stand <laughs> right. in front of a group and say, okay, all of you with uh, COVID-19 over on the left, all of you who are having trouble walking over on the right, and I'll take care of you. He didn't do that. It was individual. Hmm. It was one by one. It was touch. Dr. Brand worked with leprosy patients, and in those days, in the uh, 1950s when he was started, it was still a very feared disease. And he he would tell stories of a patient who would come uh, often walking because they would be kicked off a bus. People were so afraid of leprosy. And he he told the story of one man who showed up at his at his house, and he invited him up to the porch, and he was telling his story. And Dr. Brand reached over and and touched his shoulder. And the patient just started crying. And he said, did I say something to offend you? And he said, no, no, it's just that in many years, no one has ever touched me. Think of that. Yeah. And from birth on, you know, these studies of babies who aren't touched, they shrivel up. They don't really develop as they should mentally in other ways. And that's been proven. Touch is maybe our most reliable sense. If if you think back, uh, Thomas the disciple, you know, he was doubting until Jesus said, touch me, you know, (laughs) what do you want, what proof do you need? And Thomas, that's the only time when in the New Testament, somebody called Jesus God, my Lord and my God, Thomas said, touch was the decisive thing. It was the proof. Oh, you really are the Messiah, the the wounded Messiah. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about it in this way, but you think of touch, it's probably the greatest act of intimacy, Mm -hmm. and I'm not talking in a sexual context, of course that's true, but you see someone, and you see someone, Right. but when you touch someone, a hand on the shoulder, a hug, something like that, it's a very intimate act on the part of human beings. And that's one of the great tragedies of COVID-19, too. I I interviewed a, a chaplain who works in Denver at a memory facility with dementia and Alzheimer's, mm. and and for a year, it was under lockdown where nobody was allowed in. So these patients were already confused, and they're used to having their relatives come and hug them and touch them, and now they just stop, and they can't really understand it when you explain to them, well, we have this disease going on, and, right. and they're not allowed in anymore, and how difficult it is for these people, and you hear the stories of people who die in isolation, nobody around them. And she was a chaplain. She was one of them who would be with those people, and sometimes she would just reach out and touch them because we need that. That's part of humanity. Oh, we do. We do. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. 
Hi, this is Jim Daly with Focus on the Family. I'd like to invite you to join us this Friday for an online experience called Sea Life 2021. In this six-episode video series, we're sharing stories, insight, and encouragement that will inspire and empower you to live out your pro-life views. You'll also discover valuable resources to help you step up and get involved in the cause. This is a digital experience you and your family won't want to miss. Visit FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Life. I was convinced that nothing could change what was going on in our marriage, and I didn't want to try anymore. But my commitment to God helped me try one more time. We went to a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, and it was life-changing. The counselors created the safest environment we could imagine, so that let us really talk. We're on a much different course now, and I believe we received a miracle that week. Receive your free consultation at HopeRestored.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Philip, I do want to kind of paint the picture of how you and Dr. Brand worked mm. together, because that was, uh, you know, rather interesting that you spent 10 mm. years together. I'm sure that was off and on, but describe how you connected. and Sure. My very first book is a book called Where is God When It Hurts? And I was spending a lot of time in libraries reading books on the problem of pain, the curse of pain, God's one mistake, you know, books with titles like that. And my wife was working at a medical supply house that would ship uh, medicines to mission hospitals. And she came across a little book, booklet, actually based on a speech Dr. Paul Brand had given, called The Gift of Pain. Mm. And I had never heard anybody call it a gift before, and I had never thought of pain as a gift before. So... I I found out he was now in Louisiana at a hospital, public health service hospital, treating leprosy. And I called him up out of the blue and said, uh, could I come interview you about pain? He said, I don't know. I'm kind of busy. I said, well, I'll just hang out in the hallway. And if you have a lunch hour or something like that, I've got a lot of questions. You should have said, I'll make it painful for you. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I hope it wasn't. But uh, he became like a father figure to me. And, and I could take him all my questions and all my doubts. He was so important to my forming my faith, really, yeah. um, because I had come from an unhealthy church background. And here I saw a person who was, who was made better in every way by his faith. He was a oh. brilliant surgeon. He had gotten, you know, being awarded the commander of the British Empire Award from the Queen, gotten all these medical awards. But he was a humble, gracious, he made God visible for me. Yeah. And over the years, we kept coming up with more material. That was back in the, I think the first book came out in 1979. And I did not want the legacy of Dr. Brand to disappear. Medicine has changed a lot in 40 years. They had just barely discovered DNA when we were first writing. And so I I wanted to go back, and I took the best of two books, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, and In His Image, combined them and updated the science, updated the medicine, and just... uh, wanted to keep alive the memory and the example of Paul Brandt. Something you said I really have to punch there because it just caught me uh, when you said he was a man whose faith made him better. Mm. What a litmus test. Yeah. Isn't that the point? <laughs> I mean, really, we should each reflect on that to say, yeah. does my faith make me a better person? Right. And if it's not, you may want to reconsider how you're displaying your faith. Yeah. And when I go around, Jim, that's one of my concerns. Sitting in an airplane, I'll often ask, when I say the word Christian, what's the first thing that comes to mind? 
And often they'll say things, well, they'll, they'll say, oh, those are moral people or upright people. But sometimes they'll say they're bigots, they're um, mm. self-righteous. You know, what a, that's a condemnation because we're, as Christians, we're not self-righteous. All of our righteousness comes from God. And if you find a person who really is that humble servant, but yet is using all of his gifts, as Dr. Brand did, for some of the lowliest people on the planet, you just stand back and say, oh, that's what Jesus was like. Let me let me get in uh, to the book uh, specifically some of the systems of the body yeah. which you and mm-hmm. Dr. Brand talked about. It's so beautiful. So often Philip, I'm feeling like God is making it so simple. Of course the word says you could look at his creation and see him. Mm. And that's really the essence of what you've done here. Talk to us about the bone, the skeletal system mm-hmm. and what does it depict spiritually for us? Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Brand tells stories of uh, people who are missing parts of their bone, and like a, a section of the bone has been removed because of cancer in an arm, and then nothing works the way it's supposed to anymore because they're so intricately connected with muscles and tendons and all that, and they work on a fulcrum, a triangulation of different sinews and um, ligaments working together. You have to have a hard skeleton to hang on. Look at an octopus. An octopus <laughs> just kind of squishes around, right. can't climb stairs, can't do a lot of things. It takes an internal skeleton structure to allow us to do things like walking or for a bird to fly. You need those hard bones. And it's easy to say, uh, I'm a skier, for example. It's easier to say a lot of people break their bones in skiing. If only God had made bones bigger and thicker and harder, well, <laughs> actually, they're beautifully proportioned. If God did that, there are a lot of things that we couldn't do. We wouldn't have the ability to do other athletics. I loved hearing Dr. Brand talk about the wonders of the human body. In fact, even the things that are, are a little bit repulsive to us. Anytime I would bring something up like vomiting, he would say, oh, what a wonderful thing, vomiting. <laughs> Here you've got... He doesn't these, have young children. <laughs> yeah, these muscles and structures that are all designed to push food down, but when you have the wrong kind of food and you want to get right. rid of it, they find a way to reverse and do the opposite. And then sneezing, the same thing, coughing, diarrhea. Anything I would bring up, he'd say, oh, what a wonderful <laughs> mechanism we have to protect the human body. And engineers, when they look at the human body, they think, I, I don't see how it could be improved. Doctors get used to it. Doctors assume that if you put two muscles back together, somehow they'll, the fibers will go like this and grow together. They assume that the heart will repair itself. I mean, that's just what organs do. Engineers look at that and say, how does that happen? Right. My robots can't prepare, repair themselves, and they're not nearly as is smoothly functioning. Yeah. Mm. You mentioned the spiritual parallel, I guess, is the best way to say it, with the bone structure that when a bone breaks, um, you know, what it does, and you're describing that damage, relay that to the spiritual parallel that you and Dr. Brand talked about in the book, that the skeletal system is like the core truth. Right. Um, Well, I would say probably the closest parallel would be the Ten Commandments. Those are the the 10 things that God came up with to for a society to work. And for a society to work, if everybody told the truth, you know, if we didn't have to worry about somebody stealing my password and, and right. robbing my bank account, and if, if companies didn't have to worry about people stealing things from them, if we could trust people, 
what a wonderful society that would be. And God laid out, here's how society should work. That's the way it works best. Not coveting. Don't go around resenting other people who have more than you do. Be content with what you have. And and if you go through, those are kind of the, the hardcore skeleton of faith. But then you get to the New Testament and Jesus says, you can actually sum up the entire Ten Commandments in this. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's the internal skeleton of faith. On the outside, you don't see the skeleton, but it makes possible the love that we're supposed to give in the world. I mean, that is really, again, I think nature screams, God is there. And that's what you're uncovering. As I understand it, uh, we have about 35 trillion blood cells in our body, but we don't think much about the Uh, cells in our body until we start maybe losing them at a drastic rate or whatever, however they get out of kilter, uh, from a bloody nose to some kind of a cut where the platelets do their job to block that cut. Uh, For those of us who don't remember their biology class, (laughs) explain how our blood is also such a spiritual dimension. Hmm. There's a lot of blood in the Bible, a lot of uses of the word blood. And one of the most interesting and new thoughts to me that I heard from Dr. Brand was we tend to think of the communion service as a time to commemorate death because we reflect back on Jesus' death. He said, actually, if you look at the Bible, all the way through the Old Testament especially, blood stands for life. The life of the flesh is in the blood, it says in Leviticus. And when Jesus gave the, the instructions on, at the Last Supper, he used the image of the vine and the branches. And he said, you need to be connected to me. If you're connected to the vine, then you can produce fruit. If you're not connected, it's like these branches up there that just shrivel and die. They're no longer connected. And that blood is really a symbol of God's life flowing through us. We are participating in that. He also goes on to say, blood cleanses. As it goes through your body, not only is it providing oxygen and nutrients and things like that. But every one of your cells is producing this waste material and the blood cells that are going through those trillions you mentioned, the blood cells are taking a cargo load of those toxic chemicals of waste of waste, and getting rid of them. And he said, you can figure that out very quickly. Take a blood pressure cuff, put it around your arm and make it tight. And for a while there, you don't feel anything. But after a few minutes, you feel excruciating pain. Why? Because you've blocked the blood from going down into the rest of your arm and taking away those toxic chemicals. Mm. And blood is a cleansing agent. And so Dr. Brand, who is a medical doctor, found ways that I would never have thought of that show the spiritual parallel, how blood is, is the living connection to the source of life. And then blood is also a cleansing agent. And you're, I think you're uh, aiming in this direction, but I want to be very specific. In the book, you speak to the issue of communion, mm-hmm. that the bread represents the body of Christ and the, the juice represents the blood of Christ. Speak at the end here, and we're going to come back if you'll stick with us okay. and talk more about the subject. Sure. But let's end on this good note of what it means, the communion service and what it's getting at. It's a tough one to convey to people that don't get it. Mm -hmm. So I want to get it down to a very elementary level here. Give us the communion theology. Yeah. 
I think it's intentional that Jesus chose two of the most common elements of the day, bread. <laughs> bread is everywhere, every culture, and then wine in those days, um, and said, these can symbolize the life that I have that will energize you. In fact, he kind of scandalized followers in his day who's, when he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He didn't mean literally, obviously, because he's standing there as a complete human being. But what he said was, the most basic, ordinary things in life can be a symbol that reminds you that your strength comes not from yourself, but from something outside. And you can take it into yourself, and you can metabolize that, and that can give you energy and cleansing, cleansing from sin, very clearly, and then the nutrient that you need to be part of me, to live like me. Mm, that is so good, and I hope our viewers and listeners are catching that. And your book, Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. Uh, man, Philip, this is fascinating stuff. It's a great read. And I so appreciate Dr. Paul Brand, who's passed away now. He had some amazing insights about our physical nature and how it shows the spiritual nature of how we are made in God's image. Uh, Philip, I hope, like I said, we can stick with it and continue to talk about this content. Can we do that? Let's do it. All right. And let me encourage you to get Philip's book. We can make that available when you make a monthly pledge of any amount to focus on the family. We're counting on friends like you to join our ongoing support team. A pledge means you're committed each month to strengthening marriages and equipping parents and helping us spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So together, we can help families thrive. And if a monthly pledge is too much, uh, we get it. Uh, a one-time gift is also very helpful, and it will allow us to send you this book as our way of saying thank you for partnering with us. Get in touch today, donate as you can, and uh, request your copy of Philip's book, Fearfully and Wonderfully. Uh, that's available when you uh, stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800-the-letter-A-and-the-word-family. And one more thing I want to mention is Focus on the Family Celebrate Life Live Experience, which is coming up next month, August 28th. And we'd love to have you join us in person at the American Airlines Center in Dallas. This is our main pro-life event of the year with inspirational speakers and musicians and other believers all networking together to change hearts and minds in today's culture about abortion. And there's several ways to get involved. We have a prayer guide and a series of videos that we've been releasing this summer. And all the details are on our website. And I really want to encourage you to check it out. And please join us in Dallas on August 28th if you can do it. Our website once more is focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800 the letter A and the word family. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we hear more insights about God's design of the human body and once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. There are a lot of people around us who, who don't feel beautiful, you know, who feel like losers, who are deformed or just depressed, discouraged. And we can be the mirror that reflects back to them there is something of beauty and worth in you. 
a profound reminder from Philip Yancey, and he was our guest last time on Focus on the Family. He's back again today, and we're so glad you joined us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, we had a fascinating conversation last time with Philip Yancey, exploring how we were created in the image of God. We often use that language, but do we truly know what that means? Um, we also discussed how blood is not only essential to our physical bodies, but to our spiritual lives as well. And what's the metaphor mm-hmm. that God is using there? I love that. I'm like a kid in a candy store because I always loved biology mm-hmm. in school. I always thought maybe I could be a doctor someday. <laughs> but not too late. The reality was business school awaited me, <laughs> and I had to be a little more practical in my orphan status. So uh, if you missed the conversation last time, uh, do download it, call us, get in touch with us. We can provide a CD if that's how you listen to things, or get the smartphone app, mm-hmm. and that way you have access to the entire library here at Focus on the Family. Yeah, and of course, we're on YouTube as well. And uh, we mentioned last time that Philip Yancey co-wrote um, a combination of two great classics, and uh, it's been updated. Uh, this book is called Fearfully and Wonderfully. The subtitle is The Marvel of Bearing God's Image, and uh, of course, we'll Highly recommend you get a copy of that. We do have that here at the ministry. Just stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-IN-THE-WORD-FAMILY. Philip, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Thank you, Jim. It's good to have you, as always. And uh, let's get back to the content. It's kind of that parallel, the body, the spiritual nature, what Dr. Brand taught you about the body. Uh, It's really good. And this is an excellent resource. Uh, let's start with the concepts of diversity and unity within the body uh, represented in our cells. Give us some examples mm. of what this diversity and unity looks like. It sounds like terms for culture, not for your body. <laughs> well, that's how bodies work, though. Uh, if you lined up the different cells in the body, a neuron and a blood cell and a skin cell, and it would look like, boy, <laughs> I can't believe they're all from the same body, but the body depends on that kind of diversity. And each one has a role to play, but it only works if they're working for the good of the body. And it's easy for us to value. In fact, you know, Paul, when he's talking about the body in 1 Corinthians 12, it's, I think he has a twinkle in his eye because he said, there are some parts of the body that we tend to give much attention to, <laughs> like eyes, for example. You know, we want to make sure our eyes look well and And uh, if they're in danger, we immediately go to the eye doctor. But he says, uh, you can get along fine without eyes. Think of Helen Keller. You know, she couldn't hear, she couldn't see, but she had a very fulfilling life. But there are some parts of the body, and he says they're unpresentable, and we we treat them with special modesty. This is Paul writing. And I go to a doctor, and I ask him, what do you think Paul is talking about? (laughs) And he said, well, there are some cells that you can't live without. Kidneys and colon. If your kidneys shut down, you're going to die within a few days. If your colon shuts down, you're going to die within a few days. Mm. So you can get along without an arm. You can get along without uh, eyes or ears. But you can't get along without those cells that we kind of don't even want to think about, you know. Mm. (laughs) And I saw an application of that during COVID because we tend to have our own hierarchy of who really counts. You know, at the top would be people like jet pilots and uh, hedge fund managers and NBA basketball players. You know, these would be the people at the real top. We reward them. NBA player may make $20 million in a season. And then when COVID hits, it exposes our culture because suddenly we find out 
actually janitors are just as important in keeping you alive as the jet pilot. Yeah. <laughs> They're the ones who are scrubbing at the airport to get rid of these germs. And actually, uh, we may not be doing ourselves a favor by paying an NBA basketball player 200 times as much as a teacher. Suddenly, these parents are caught at home trying to teach their kids online, and they realize, these teachers work hard. <laughs> we ought to reward them more. It kind of exposed our society because we, the body only works if we value each individual unit. Mm. And as Paul said, those we don't like to even think about, the kidneys and the colon, they are more valuable in keeping the body alive than the things that we give a lot of attention to, like on our face. That's so true, isn't it? <laughs> and culturally, that fits. I mean, what we appreciate has changed because mm. of the pandemic. Um, that's so true. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul, as you're relating, uh, uses the analogy of the human body to explain how the body of Christ should and should not operate. So when you compare those two bodies, what are some insights we can gain from 1 Corinthians? One of the obvious ones is diversity, as you've mentioned, because Paul goes on to say, we don't all have the same gifts. You know, there's right. some who are able to stand in front of a congregation on Sunday morning and keep you engaged and teach you and be a prophetic voice. But there are others who wouldn't do so well standing in front of a pulpit, but maybe can teach uh, fifth graders. Um, I admire those people. I would never <laughs> right. attempt that. Junior high teachers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. And then there are some people who are very good at keeping the chairs lined up in order after the congregation, you know, messes them all up. Firstborns. And we, we all have, yeah, we all have different abilities and spiritual gifts. And he goes on to describe what those gifts are. And they only work if they're working for the entire body. If yeah. you... If you want to say, look at me, look at me, I can do something that somebody else can't do, then it's, it destroys the unity that the body needs. And Jesus was the greatest example because the night before he was arrested, he took his disciples in the Last Supper and said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be a servant. So find the people that maybe are the lowest on the social ladder and wash their feet. That's what I want you to do. And if you do that, then the entire body will thrive. If you go around saying, call attention to yourselves, as they were doing. James and John kept saying, hey, could I be a super apostles? You know? yeah, right. <laughs> could I be the vice president of this group? And, and their mother would also harass Jesus, and he would say, you're missing the whole point. Right. It's about servanthood. It's not about egohood. <laughs> yeah, which is so amazing. You know, uh, one statement that you made in the book that really caught my attention, I think it's the golden nugget. You know, whenever we're looking at these kinds of resources that you labor over to write, that we're only five or six minutes away from death. That's right. I mean, it, I've never heard it said like that. Mm. And it's related to our breathing apparatus that you cut off oxygen you got five or six minutes for your brain to live. That's, it. That's a uh, thought-provoking way of looking <laughs> at it, that yeah. we're always on the edge of not being here. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. That, And you can't go through life being afraid of that. No, but, but it's phenomenally it is, it focusing. Is, it is, <laughs> and I had a, an experience back in 2007 here in Colorado uh, I was going on an icy road early one Sunday morning and hit a patch of ice, and my uh, Ford Explorer fell off a cliff and turned over and over five times. I remember that. Yeah, and I ended up with a broken neck. And Little Hospital uh, did a CAT scan, 
And they said, we don't have enough resolution to know whether the carotid artery has been pierced, has been penetrated, but we've got a, by a little piece of bone, but we've got a jet standing by to fly you to Denver for emergency surgery if indeed it's been pierced. But frankly, just between you and me, if the carotid artery has been ruptured, you're not going to make it to Denver. You've only got a few minutes. So here's the phone. Call the people you love and tell them goodbye just in case. And that's one of those wake-up calls. And I'm so grateful and fortunate that I can look back on that story because if it had been pierced, I would have been gone in five or six minutes, you know? And it was a good reminder. You just can't count on life going on. You should live your life in awareness that today may be the last. When you kiss your wife goodbye, when you kiss your kids goodbye, that may be the last time. Yeah, there's no guarantee. That's right. And especially uh, relating that to how your system breathes, how your body breathes, your lungs, just that act of taking in air. Yeah. And, you know, in the Bible, the word for breath, pneuma, the, the word for spirit, they're the same word. So... That's a beautiful analogy that just like the physical body needs new oxygen, new breath, and getting rid of old stuff every couple seconds, frankly, and certainly every few minutes, because if you don't get in new resources within five minutes, you will die. Just hold your breath underwater and you you, you only have a few minutes, maybe three minutes to live. And... Our dependence on God is similar. You can't just kind of pull him out on Sunday morning and say, okay, today's the day to think about God. No, that catches up to you. It's a constant being aware of the presence of God and calling out independently to say, God, I can't do this alone. I don't want to treat that person like I should. I need your help. I want to uh, flash back in anger and hurt somebody, get some revenge. I can't do that alone. I need your help. I need your help. Just like we breathe, we need the oxygen in and we need to get rid of the bad stuff out. The same thing is true spiritually. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. I'm here asking people to define the word appreciate. It's like when something goes up in value. It's telling someone they did a good job. Focus on the Family invites you to give a gift that appreciates when you give a non-cash gift of stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. You'll avoid a capital gains tax, get a deduction, and help families thrive for generations to come. Find out more about non-cash gifts. Just visit FocusPlannedGiving.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Philip, uh, we did a broadcast recently with a neurosurgeon, mm. Dr. Lee Warren. I know who, Lee. And you know mm. Lee, and he mentioned you, and he mentioned how much you mentored him and encouraged him in writing his story. And uh, it was a phenomenal program talking about 
brain science mm. and what he saw in Iraq as a surgeon, a trauma surgeon, and you know the things that he had gone through and crisis of faith, uh, dealing with people with cancer, brain tumors that he knew would not pull through, and is it futile to pray and all those things. Let's turn to the body's CEO, as you called it in your book, uh, the brain. What a fascinating mm. organ. Mm. Uh, describe the brain for us. <laughs> what strikes me most about the brain is that uh, we never get to see it. <laughs> and it's the most isolated part of the body, actually. It's in this thick, bony skull. I'm sure Dr. Warren could tell you what it's like to try to drill through that. Th you know, it's the right. hardest part of the body, actually. And the brain has never seen anything. It's never smelled anything. It's never heard anything. It relies on these nerves that go out through the nose or through the ears and through the eyes. And it relies on the rest of the body to inform it of what's going on. The brain has, doesn't even feel pain. Right. Lee Warren would tell you, once you open the skull, uh, you do need anesthetic for that, obviously, to cut through. But you could touch a match to the brain or, or cut it. It doesn't feel. Doesn't feel. Well, there's no reason for it to feel because it's so well protected by that skull. You know, the body is very economical. It only protects what needs protecting. And to me, that's a beautiful picture of the way God works in the world. God is spirit, and we can't see God. And he set up this earth, I think, to give himself pleasure. I think that's why God created the world. He created us to give himself pleasure. And and yet he turns over. A, a good CEO doesn't try to do it all by himself. He knows that it's it's the entire group of employees. I mean, you know that as a CEO himself. You, you've got your role. But somebody makes sure that the air condition is working or the right. heater is working and the lights are working and somebody cleans up afterwards and somebody uh, you know, does the various tasks around here, the engineers who put the radio program together. A CEO often... Uh, has one of the most relaxed jobs. Everybody else is the one scurrying around. And God works like that. And in fact, you know, I referred to Philippians 2 where it talks about Jesus. He gave up the prerogatives of the Godhead and came to be a human being, not just a human being, but a servant, a servant who turns over the mission to the rest of us. In fact, mm. when Jesus left earth, I've often asked myself, wouldn't it have been better if Jesus had stayed around? Yeah. Because, you know, we have an uh, ethical issue or something. So how do you really, how should we really deal with this issue going on right here? We could just call up Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what, who should we vote for? What should we, what should we do? <laughs> but he didn't. And when he left, he said, it's actually for your good that I'm going away. He said that to his disciples. These guys who hadn't really uh, demonstrated much ability to that point, but he said, it's for your good, because now you're the ones, you're the rest of the body, and I will live through you. I'll, I'll still be the head, the CEO. Paul uses that phrase, he's the head of the body. And the more we tune into that head, give the feedback in the way my senses do, that's called prayer, give the feedback and get wisdom and get guidance from that body, from that head, the more we do that, the entire body will function as as God meant it to. Yeah. Mm. Along those lines, Philip, um, 
we all know somebody that is broken physically, mm. maybe born with some obvious handicaps, yeah, or maybe with something you know um, that isn't wired what we would call normally, yeah, uh, mentally. How does that play out in what you're talking about? Yeah, let me just tell you a story of a woman I met at a leprosy hospital in Nepal, right next to India. We were being given a tour by a doctor, and I looked out. This is, there was a courtyard of grass, and I saw this woman, and I got to tell you, she was one of the least attractive human beings I've ever seen in my life. She didn't have any fingers left. Her hands were just nubs. She, her feet were bandaged up, and she had no toes left. Her eyes were crusted over. She'd been blind for years. Her nose had shrunken away so that when you looked at her, you looked kind of right into her skull. And so we got the tour of the hospital. And on the way back, this woman had crawled all the way across the courtyard. She couldn't walk. She would plant her elbows and drag her body behind. She had heard our voices. And so I assumed uh, that she must be a beggar. What else can you do in a situation like that in Nepal? And I reached in my pocket to feel if I had some coins to give her. And my wife, who's a social worker and, and a hospice chaplain, had a much more different and holy reaction than I did. She went over to this woman and put her arms around her, and the woman oh. started singing. And what she sang was, we didn't know Nepali, of course, but we didn't need to. We, we heard the tune, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the doctor giving us the tour said, oh, I, I want you to read Danmaya. She's no beggar. Danmaya is the closest thing to a saint that we know. She's there every time the chapel door is open. Mm. In fact, Philip, is there anything you need prayer for? Because her prayers tend to get answered. And I I looked at her and I thought, here is this woman that by the standards of the world that most of us go by most of the time is a loser. She has no beauty about her. She has no wealth. She has no income. Um, She has no CV, you know. (laughs) She has to drag herself across the floor. Has to drag her. Yet in that deformed, defective body, the Spirit of God shines brightly. And in my own experience, people who most impressed me, in fact, I I came up with this phrase that I I use that pain redeemed impresses me more than pain removed. You know, I think of somebody like Johnny Erickson, Tata, who I know has been on this broadcast many times. And And she tried so hard to get healed. Everybody who had a gift of healing, has prayed for Johnny at some point in life, but she wasn't healed. But she took that curse, what it seemed like at the time, of her disability and turned it into a blessing to the church. She became a a prophetess. She reminded us all of what we needed to do to reach out to the disabled people. And I I think again and again I found people that on one hand you'd think, oh, how sad they have this disability. On the other hand, um, they shine with the Spirit of God mm-hmm. more than the uh, the rich and successful. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful, uh, Philip, and what a great reminder for all of us to think about those that are less fortunate in this life. Mm-hmm. You know, I c- can't imagine their anticipation of heaven and yeah. eternity and leaving the things that have been such a struggle here right. and being fully functional in the life to come. Um mm-hmm in many ways as a reward for their faithfulness here, I would think, you mm-hmm. know, how God sees them. I mean, it takes a lot to praise God when your circumstances are down. Right. And that's really who you find out 
what you're about, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When chips are down, what are you? Let's end here with uh, your reflections on Dr. Brand, because obviously he was the co-author. He passed away in 2003. You worked with him closely over 10 years in the original books and now the, uh, the new book, Fearfully and Wonderfully. With Dr. Brand, you've said that no one has affected you in quite the same way. And given the fact that you're an incredible author, processing so much great content for all of us, millions of your books have sold, to say that this man had the greatest influence in your life, it's the right question. <laughs> How? Yes. Well, I, I had no father growing up. My father died of polio when I was one year old. So mm. I have no memory of him whatsoever. And, of course, back in those days, 1950, people were as afraid of polio as they are today of COVID or Ebola virus, some of those things. And growing up fatherless, when I was just starting out my writing career, there were a lot of things I was unsure of in my own faith. I I mentioned I came from a, a dysfunctional church and some family issues as well. And I really needed somebody to be a mentor, to be a father to me. Mm. I kind of like this. You know, we, most people don't get to choose their fathers. <laughs> and then they have to go through this teenage rebellion years. I was already past that. And I somehow God put the two of us together, Dr. Brand, 40 years older than I was or so. But wise. And any question I had, I could take to him. So we did some bouncing around in the, in the Jeeps of India or in a surgery room or in the uh, subway, the tube in London, places all over the world where I interviewed him. And he had already thought about those questions and he had some answers for me. And what I, I guess what impressed me most, I've interviewed a lot of people as a journalist over my years. And Dr. Brand is the most impressive in terms of his accomplishments, his wisdom, his knowledge, his expertise. He's very thoughtful, speaks a number of languages. I'd ask a question, he'd say, well, the Greek and the Hebrew, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and yet he spent his most of his career among the lowest people on the social ladder in the world. I guarantee you there is nobody lower on the social ladder than somebody from the untouchable caste, a Dalit, in India, who has leprosy. Yeah. That's as low as it gets. They're it's kind kicked of the lowest out of, of the low. It is. Yeah. They're kicked out of their own families, out of their own villages. And here was this brilliant surgeon who gave his life. And you think, oh, what a martyr. No, no, no. <laughs> he was one of the most grateful and joyful people I knew and because he was serving God and he was seeing these people being transformed, people like Don Maya. And he felt privileged to be, to have that job of working with them. And it there's one statement in the Bible, Jim, you probably know, that is repeated by Jesus more often than any other, six times in the Gospels. So it's very important, and I'm paraphrasing here, but what Jesus said in effect was, um, you don't gain your life by acquiring more and more. Mm. You know, that's the American way. You acquire degrees, acquire success, acquire money. You find your life by giving it away mm. in service to others. And that was Jesus' style. That's what he did. He came and gave his life away. And to see this brilliant man live out the truth of that, because he found his life by giving it away. And he, I never felt sorry for him for a minute. He was fulfilled in every way because Jesus was right. That's how you really find meaning in life, not by 
feeding yourself by, by giving it away to others. Philip, this has been so good. And again, you're such a profound thinker. I'm not just buttering you up here, but God's really given you a gift to look at something as simple as the human body with your co-author, Dr. Brand, and to express that in a way that kind of ignites the imagination again, mm. which is a wonderful achievement for an author. And you do it so beautifully with all of the books that you write. Mm. Um, thank you mm. for being with us. It's a privilege to be with you. Well, it was a thrill for me. I remember speaking at Dr. Brand's funeral, and I said, we had an interesting exchange. I, I gave words to his faith. I contributed the words. But in the process, he gave faith to my words. Mm. Wow. Um, he really put my faith on a solid foundation because I, it, it only takes one, yeah. one person who actually is a follower of Jesus in the way Jesus showed us to convince you this thing's real. It's true. Boy, that says a lot about your friendship. Hmm. Hmm. Well, do look for a copy of this book, Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. It was written by the late Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. We'll send you a copy of that book when you make a monthly pledge of any amount to the Ministry of Focus on the Family. If you haven't done so, uh, please consider becoming a sustaining member of our support team, allowing us to produce broadcasts like this one and provide resources like Philip's book. Uh, Your monthly donation allows us to continue to introduce more families to a life-giving, eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we invite you to join the support team in that way. Uh, a monthly pledge or a one-time gift, uh, either would be appreciated, and you can donate when you call 800-A-FAMILY. That's 800-232-6459 or online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And John, before we close, uh, we need to remind everyone about the upcoming pro-life event we're hosting in Dallas on August 28th. It's our Celebrate Life live experience where we'll feature great speakers and musicians who will inspire you to become an advocate for life in today's culture. Our goal is to change hearts and minds about abortion and equip you to have life-changing conversations with your friends, colleagues, and family members. So please make plans to join us at the American Airlines Center in Dallas on Saturday, August 28th, and sign up for our prayer guide and check out the powerful series of videos that we've created to help you better understand the issues involved. We'd love to have you participate. Yeah, we would. And details are at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or just call 800, the letter A in the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.